to you all. Thank you very much for tuning in. Um, still recovering from man flu, so people listening on the podcast, my apologies. Um, I don't normally sound like this. I'm normally a little bit, a little bit croaky. But I'm pleased to say, not for him, but for me, that my guest is equally as croaky this morning. Um, so, um, and that guest is going to be Mr. Mike James, the endurance physio. Um, very excited to bring Mike to you. Um, he's been um, making fantastic waves um, in all sorts of places that I've visited in the past with conferences online. Um, he's at the running show. We're going to talk to him live from the running show um, at the uh, NEC in Birmingham now. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to you hearing about his personal experience with running and ultras and channel swimming and all sorts of things iron men and double iron men um, and also his experience as a as a physio um very much evidence driven um so without further ado i'm going to give you a three second countdown to bring mike in and we will start chatting Good morning, Michael. Morning, Matt. Morning. <laughs> Can I call you Michael? Or is that yeah. a bit too far? Uh, no, my mother normally calls me, but you're welcome. Hey, <laughs> oh, I've got to try not to do Welsh impressions and accents. I've got this thing where if I hear someone talking in accent, then I imitate it without wanting to. <laughs> do it, do it. Okay. Go for it. Oh, no, it's a nightmare. Even if I'm in Indian restaurants or Chinese takeaways, <laughs> I don't and I just start replying in the accent. I don't know what it is something about my brain so anyway so thanks much for joining us no problems pleasure uh, I've followed you for a long time I've listened to all your work um or followed these for so while so it's a real privilege to be invited on well I'm honored that you grew a beard um for this morning as Just well you. I, I, I knew there was a reason to start growing it <laughs> for those on the podcast listening to the recording you can't see Mike or myself but um well, let's just say it's testosterone fuel this morning. There is a lot of facial yeah. hair on the screens. Yeah. This episode um, is not sponsored by Jill. <laughs> Actually, maybe we should start the first five minutes talking about grooming products. I mean, are you natural yeah. or is there something in there? Is there a balm or an oil? Or? No, well, I've tried a few things. Um, huh. I, went, I went down a sort of oil for a while and it may look a bit better, but I really don't like it. It feels like I'm a real player. I spend my whole day fidgeting with my beard. Um, right. So I try to just get the air dryer out in the morning, a bit like Teen Wolf. Give it a, give it a bit of a brush and then spend my day playing with it. So, so no uh, balm either. Have you tried balm? No, I haven't tried balm. That might be something. Well, you see, well, I haven't tried balm. Um, I hope you're enjoying this news, <laughs> but, but we're just going to have a... No, balm. See, the, I, I don't like oil either, but the thing about the balm is it smells nice and you smell it during the day. Uh, right, okay. Every time you do have that kind of beard stroke, you just get a little waft. Uh, right. Brighton Beard Company, who don't actually sponsor this program yet, <laughs> but Brighton Beard Company, yeah, they do some uh, fantastic balms and uh, just gives you that little bit more control. Well, I am uh, the other question I'm going to ask you is, is that totally natural colour or is it dyed no, a bit? Of course not, of course not. <laughs> I, um, I was unfortunately blessed with the ginger gene, but just on my moustache. <laughs> so, so you've got you've got young and seven you you've got toddlers yeah toddlers? six and six and three six and three my two boys six and three six years yeah 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 jeez i was gonna say i always blame my whiteness the grayness in my beard on the fact my kids getting older the older they get the gray it gets but yeah. you've managed to avoid that oh no yeah well the, the, the first time i grew it because i shaved this off um at the wife's request for her 40th last year um, we'll be there. Yeah. yeah the first time i grew it it was really long 
and my three-year-old, who was about two at the time, decided to just yank a big chunk of it out. So, um, so that, that put a bit more grey in it. But no, it's it generally special occasions, like in front of the cameras up here at the run show, tends to get a little bit darker for a few days. Uh, I, I did. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm a grown man. I'm, I'm, you know, just as you've admitted, you hair dry your beard in the morning. I will admit, in the early days, I did put a little bit of uh, darkening on my beard because it was yeah. just maybe too old. But I don't bother now. I'm natural and proud. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, so um, I don't know. Maybe I'll edit that out of the podcast, or maybe not. Leave comments below if you're a beard person. You appreciate our little chat. But anyway, enough beard talk for the moment. Mike, um, yes, you're at the running show. Tell us about um, that. Yeah, so I'm here with one of my companies, Sports Injury Fix. We are hosting the treatment room. So we've brought uh, just over a dozen therapists of all backgrounds. We've got some podiatrists. We've got some uh, physios, some sports massage therapists, some sports rehabs. And um, we're providing treatment and advice to... 36,000 runners who are spending the weekend coming up, walking, talking, shopping, running. So um, it's the second year the running show has been going and it's we've been lucky enough to be, be attending for both years. So um, it is a fast and furious couple of days. But from a business point of view, it's fantastic. We get to mingle and network with a lot of the big influencers and players in, in the running world. But from a professional level, we get to chat to so many runners who've got so many interesting stories. Um, help a lot of them hopefully um because the interesting dynamic with it is i used to think when we before we first started the clientele up here would be people who had a little niggle but didn't think it was bad enough to go and see someone about it so they just come over for a bit of advice because it was readily available but what it turns out is we tend to get the majority of people coming through who have been seen by a number of therapists or one therapist for quite a long time and they come over with a real guilty look on their face, going, any chance of a second opinion? Um, so, um, so yeah, it works well. It works well. So it's a good, it's a good weekend to be involved with. And um, quite selfishly, on a personal level, you tend to shake hands and meet some some people that you would never get the chance to meet yesterday. Uh, yesterday alone, I was I spent some time chatting to Joe Pavey, to Marilyn Okoro, um, just just guys that you know. In a normal bloke like me in any walk of life would never get the, the chance to cross paths with that sort of person. So, so yeah, it's a really good weekend. And I think it starts the year nice. It, it's middle of, middle of Jan and it sets the, sets the season off with a, with a good foot in, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's especially in these days where so much is done online. I mean, even we're talking online. So, I mean, we're part of it, but um, yeah, there's a danger. I think that you just, miss that kind of face-to-face networking yeah. at events like this i mean it's at the nac isn't it in birmingham yeah yeah, yeah. and it's, yeah. it's moved into um, a much bigger hall bigger arena than we had last year mm. and um and the scale of it has just exploded yeah it's, and it's baffled me because i remember probably as far back as 2003 or 4 going to the triathlon show and the bike shows and the running show has just been a gap the gap in the market for a long time mm. so um so i think it's really good it's working really well yeah because you've been there as well uh, you've done a therapy expert haven't you a few years or yeah uh, uh yeah this year i got, uh, managed to get a speaking slot this year or cool. last november which was yeah. which was really nice the sports therapy association invited me along to speak at theirs um so yeah growing you know I, i've really only pushed my head above the parapet for about 18 months mm. um so Sometimes you have to just sit back and take stock that 
you don't think you've got much of a reach and then you realize that people start saying hello to you and like, oh, I like the videos you do. And um, and you just have to take stock that these things can grow way beyond. You sit in your house or you sit in the gym and you film a little video and you, you throw it on the internet, hoping it helps a few people. And then you realize that it's had however many views and loads of people have shared it across across the world sometimes. And it's uh, sometimes to be invited to some of these gigs and you look at the speaker list and I, I get a real case of imposter syndrome a lot of the time. A lot of mm-hmm. until you meet guys and then you say that to them, realize they're just good, normal people. They're very clever and they know what they're doing and then they're experts in their fields, but actually they're just they're just like you or I anyway. So yeah. um yeah, it was nice. It's good it's good to be good to be trying to help more people on a bigger scale, basically. I think that's really um an important point you've made and valuable for well not just therapists but anybody in life the whole imposter syndrome thing um because i went through that massively myself i think anybody who criticizes what they do which is always a good thing um and criticize of course doesn't mean you just look at all the negative things it means you just try and sit back and go oh, what am i doing is this good what am i saying is you're, you're gonna get a bit of imposter syndrome because you just feel that oh there's so much i don't know there's so much that I've, i need to evolve and and i don't deserve to treat this person you come across people runners for example who who don't fit into the box and and what worked with the last person is not working with this one and i think it's perfectly healthy to get a bit of imposter syndrome but yeah it can bring you down quite a lot can't it i think yeah. a lot of young therapists struggle with it because you know you finish your course and you think you're gonna know everything um, and then your real wide world teaches you that you know learning starts now yeah. um, and if you don't, yeah, if you can actually get people down and they leave the career, but it's, yeah, it's a totally natural, humble thing to experience, I think. Yeah, yeah. and I think, I think one of the messages I try to push out to the therapist is that you can just, you know, the the days of this structured career path that has to be followed is, is so extinct. Um, there's so many guys now who are just breaking out and following their own paths and their own sort of intentions. And, and it, you can still... You know, as long as what you do when you're with people is is the right things, then there's there's no template anymore, really. You could argue that there are people, obviously, on social media who've been around a lot longer than I, who are maybe setting a bit of a path for, for others to follow. Certainly, um, I probably make less mistakes than I might have a couple of years ago because I have got reference points that I look at. You know, the likes of yourself, you, uh, Jack Chu is a big one I like listening to and watching how he works. Um, all the big players, Tom, um, Ben Cormack, um, Greg Lehman, when he pops his head up, those guys just they just give you a, a good way of okay. I see the pitches and the way to approach this that is probably going to be more successful than other ways, um, and and it's easier to follow those. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the names, the list you've mentioned is a classic list which I give to people on my workshops and courses, therapists more yeah. so than runners, but um, just. To, it's tricky because I don't want to set people up with kind of gurus or put people on pedestals. And like you said, sometimes, you know, reading stuff by Ben and Greg and there is a danger of putting them up as gurus. We've had the advantage, you know, of meeting these people in person and then you realise they're just normal people. Yeah. You know, I, think, I think I, think I, I, I almost categorise those guys into like they're almost like an inverted guru. Because their guru comes from the fact that they're not pushing a mantra. The, the, the mantra is there is no mantra. 
Um, and therefore, it is is quite easy guru to follow because I'm not being sucked into something. It doesn't feel cultish. It doesn't feel that there's a, a method someone's trying to push or a gimmick someone's trying to push. It's just, mm-hmm. no, this is a, a thought process or an approach um, that, that is far removed from the traditional ones that have become a little bit outdated. And... Um, and, and therefore, that they they do work quite well as a guru, and and I feel very comfortable pushing people. You're one of them. You're 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 someone that I push people towards. Hmm. Um, you still there, Matt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a bit, just choking up a bit. Something in my eye, mate. Just a bit of dust. Oh, there we go. It's still gone. Oh, can you hear me? Hmm. Okay, we've got a little interruption. I don't think Mike can actually hear me at the moment. Just check it. Mike's back. Mike, he's back. Yeah, I am. Yeah. We only lost 363 viewers, so it's not too bad. Oh, so we'll, get, we'll, we'll get them back. We'll get them back. They'll come back. The good news is we've still got Rob Tyre watching. So know, yeah. he's, he's just he's happy about the Teen Wolf reference. Did you see that? Can you yeah. see the comments? <laughs> okay. Good. I'm glad you're back, mate. Don't worry. I just filled in the time with some guests you've got coming up. Um, so anyway, right. Well, let's not waste more time. Let's hear about your your story because it's fascinating. Uh, where do we start? Let's start. What, what was your first uh, kind of uh, distance running experience? Um, so my, my sporting background starts with football. And um, most of my success on the football field just comes from fitness. Once I started climbing up the technical ladder, I soon got found out. Um, and most most of the fitness used to just come from running. So from probably 14 or 15, I would just start it in the roads. And this would have been... Late 80s, early 90s, science wasn't what it was now. And it was a case of you put your shoes on and you, you just went for a run. And um, one of the guys in the football team was uh, the only guy that I knew in my town who ran marathons. So it must have been 93 or 94. I was, I was, I was less than 18 and um, did my first marathon. So, um, so, and I mean, I didn't even really change my training for it. It was just, uh, I could probably do this. I think I was probably 11 and a half stone wet. So, um, so yeah, and I've, all, I've always had the bug for running. It just gave me the buzz that other things didn't. Um, those were the days that I could actually run quite fast. So, um, so yeah, it was a natural evolution to just progress running from there. So I guess, I guess by the age of 20, I would have called myself a, a seasoned runner. Um, I was running four or five times a week. I was doing double-figure runs, but happily. And I had two marathons in the bag at that point. Um, and then a couple of months after that, I joined the military. And we were still in a, in a time where fitness was running-based. Fitness, uh, fitness testing was running-based. And, you know, I remember so I joined as a physical training instructor in the in the Air Force. And I remember having jobs in a, in a recruit training center where my day job was to take 60 people running four times a day. Where I literally would be take them for a four to five mile run, come back, have a quick shower, put a new set of kit in, take the next one out, take the next one out. And I was getting paid to do this. It was it was awful. Um but as with most things in, in my life, I have a slightly obsessive personality. And when something pops up that just seems silly or just seems different, I, I tend to, to attract myself to that. 
so um so it wasn't too long before ultras popped up on my radar um or whether it was a multi-day race um i i spent a couple of years in my mid-20s chasing fast 10ks um here 10ks they, they just hurt hurt from start to finish um did okay did okay got a couple of decent times under the belt but but it was never a, a love <coughs> i used to be driving to the races on saturday sunday mornings dreading it so it was just let's go long i i i make you know when i teach my courses and people i i give a bit of an overview but my stuff and people sort of say oh i don't know how, how you do the stuff you do and, I, and i'm a big advocate of, of playing down my physical prowess the, the long stuff that i tend to do i think probably 90 percent of the people of, of the recreational athletic world could physically train to get in that shape there's nothing special about me as an athlete what they don't have is the psychology to maybe apply themselves to that training and then come race day go through the the turmoil that some of these events tend to put you in um knowing that you'd be okay coming out the back of it so um so we've pretty much now where are we we're 43 years of age it has really dropped off in the last few years since since my two boys came but we've topped we've topped 100 marathons we've topped probably 25 ultras from 30 up to about 100 miles done a couple of 100 mile races uh lots of multi-day events and then spread my wings about 15 years ago into the triathlon and cycling and open water swimming world so we've been spending lots of time over there but i always default back to runs when life when life's busy when life's hard and it's it's just you can always take a pair of running shorts and a pair of running shoes somewhere you can always just go for a run so um so it'll always be the default it'll always be the thing and now i'm, I'm so lucky right now to be able my six-year-old who's got the same obsessive personality that i have he's, he's doing junior park runs me and him go for little runs and a whole new element of, of my life has opened up and running now and like so, you i'm like you i'm a big buggy runner do loads with yeah. a buggy now just yeah just... yeah killing two birds with one yeah so it's an interesting point you made there like um yes the advantage of running is you can just stick your shoes on and then some clothes and get out the door and do it but of course, when it comes to like uh, what we're going to be talking about, you know, training for multiple peaks, being fit at different races during the year, um, then that can be a disadvantage as much as an advantage, oh, yeah. can't it? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, you, you for example, um, you've done double, well, you went from Ironman to double Ironman, which must mm -hmm. have been pretty crazy. Um, yeah. And that was done in Afghanistan, wasn't it? So it was done. It was done in the UK, but um, yeah. the, the race was in August, and uh -huh. from Jan until May of that year, I was in Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, had to, I had to really sort my training program out to factor yeah. all of that stuff in. So, so I was, I didn't, I was preparing for a, a five-mile swim without touching the water for five months. Um, the uh -huh. I, I got, I got a little bit. It was it was coming out of the hot season in Afghan when I got there, so I assumed I'd be okay running. But actually, the the the, the humidity and the sand and the dust just made running outside nuts. You just you were coming back caked and you were just coughing and spluttering. So a lot of yeah. it was um, we used to have um, we used to have a um, market on the camp. The locals used to come once a week with a market, and and one of the big things they used to sell was. Uh, pirated dvds 
and you could buy like 10 DVDs for $10. So every week I would just buy 10 DVDs. I was I was running uh, in the physio department, so we had our own treadmill. So late, late at night, I'd go in there, I'd put my laptop on, on the console, start watching DVDs and run for three, four, five hours. So, Got you, yeah. I was trying to figure out how you were managing to watch DVDs yeah. whilst running in the plains of Afghanistan. So it was it was five months of treadmill <laughs> running at night, watching lap, watching films. Yeah, yeah. It was spin sessions like you wouldn't believe. Mm. And then factoring in that, when I come back, I really need to hit the water. So I'm probably going to have to get ahead of the game in my running and cycling because they're going to have to back off a little bit when I come back. And it worked okay. It worked okay. It was, you know, it was it was a long, slow plod. So, um, yeah, yeah. And about six weeks, six weeks after the the double, we ended up going to Chicago to do the marathon, which was which was the strangest but most enjoyable marathon I've ever done. The uh, so went out with my wife and two friends. My wife was doing a third or fourth marathon and trying to trying to go faster than before, and the other guys were doing their first one. And I just, I remember saying to the wife, I literally don't know what's left in the tank with me. I've got a sneaky feeling at some point around this course, the body's just going to go, no more. Not this year, we're done. I'll run with you at your pace for as long as I can, and then we'll see. And I got to about 12 miles, and the body just went, nah, I'm pulling Mm. the plug out. And it's really funny, because it's my slowest ever marathon. It's the only marathon I've spent long periods of time walking in. But it is the most fun marathon I've ever done because for the first time ever, without looking at a watch or worrying about pacings, I took in the sights, the sounds, the scenery, chatted to the locals. There was a big, big stretch through Chinatown, and I just literally was a. I walked about two hundred meters into the drink station and about three hundred meters out the other side, and just loved it, loved it. So, um, and did you still manage to beat your wife? No, 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 no. Oh, really? Yeah, she's okay. She's okay. She's not bad. She's yeah, you let her win. That's nice. That's very she's, good. She's she's one of those. Um, she's a swimmer by trade. Yeah, she's a talented little athlete, but just does not have the, the application mentally. She just can't be bothered. Yeah. So, um, so it's the hell. Let's jump to um. Okay, so that's a, an example of where it wasn't quite so successful. Getting yeah. fit to speak to two points, but six weeks after the double, and then going to—I mean, maybe that was—I don't know. But let's imagine now. What what are the sort of things? Let's um start getting into. Yeah, best practice to be able to peak during the year, multiple events. So what's what um yeah, maybe in some sort of order, what's the most important thing and then what's the least important at the end? Give us a, yeah, some <laughs> yeah. I think I think like the, the real interesting thing with this is I've seen such a change in this in athletes in the last few years. Ten, fifteen years ago I'd work with people and they'd come to you and they'd have these are my two races for the season. These are the two things that I'm focusing on. And to be able to structure someone's training to get them to those races was quite simple. But now people come with the craziest plans. I want to peak for four races from 10K to marathon, all spread out through the season. And the most important thing I find sometimes is literally just having that good, honest chat at the start of the season and saying, look, sometimes I, I don't think this is a realistic plan. We can get you to the four races, but you can't peak for all of these races. So I think that's a real honest one. Um, I think I think being blunt with someone and saying, look, sometimes you can just go back next year and peak for that one. Mm-hmm. So, I, And I, I'm not someone who said there's no number. I don't think there's a number that I would say that's that's the maximum you can peak for. So a good honest chat about that is the first thing. That's interesting as well. I'm just going to. 
Yeah, because that's one thing that so many runners don't do. Runners, in my experience, so many runners are great at organising their week. So kind of like microcycles, so I'm going to do my long run, my hill runs, I'm going to do my um, tempo runs. They might be good at periodising maybe kind of a six-week strength um, kind of uh, workout as well. Or, but very few of them actually look ahead at the year, do they, and kind yeah. of think, right, which are my A races? If anything, it's just online, Facebook. Yeah. New race, yeah. click it, click it, click it. And they yeah. want to do great at all yeah. of them. And, 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 and like the population that I see the big the big problems with are the 45 to 55 years. They've got lots of disposable income. The kids are a little bit more independent. And, and they just throw themselves into it. So these guys can't afford to book a flight to somewhere to do a major marathon, then go and do another one and then do something else. And, and they have far less limitations than some of the guys have. And, and it turns into a nightmare. And then mm. they, they've, and, and it, I hate doing it, but some of them have a, re, they have such a passion for it. To try and curb someone's passion sometimes really gets me in the gut. But they, you can't train hard for everything. You know, I think I'm a big fan of sitting down with them and saying, right, what's your A races? And they'll name the couple of races and I'll say, okay, we're going to try to get you to all of those to peak for all of them. But let's just have, a, let's just take a second and say, if the poo, it's the fun, which is the, big one which is the one that is the one that you really want to have that achievement of this year because ultimately we have to have a plan b and c we have to have something you know we could pick up niggles you could pick injuries you could pick up whatever life gets in the way sometimes and nothing to do with physical stuff and and we do we do have those so it's it's a rigid but flexible plan that's the first thing um there's a honest sort of conversation about the physical and mental requirements, both for achieving the training and the goals, but the recovery side. When you're training hard and you're trying to peak for a race, and then you want to try and come down a little bit and peak back up for another race, there's as much mental, uh, psychological recovery that's needed because it's hard. It's hard to train and it's hard to commit to these programs. Um, there's a gang of us sharing a big house this week, and one of the guys has gone out and done and a run both mornings and it's not been nice it's not been pleasant but he's gone out and he's gone out and if he's going to peak for a race and then recover to go again he, he needs to switch switch his brain off from that stuff but i think when it comes then to the actual strategies to get you to the race i tend to work off two or one of two and the big decisions that i always go for are basically is what is the time scale between your two a races so if you're looking at um two A races that are around six weeks apart, then I'm a big fan of like more of a maintenance strategy. So we will take you through a 12 to 24 week, depending on the athlete, depending on, on where they're at and the time skills they're at. That'll be the main program, a real traditional periodized program to get you to peak for race one, let's call it. And that will have that sort of taper and everything getting you up to the start line. Then all I tend to do is have an easier week to recover and whatever time scale is left until that second race, as long as it's under six to eight weeks, we repeat the last couple of weeks of the hard intensity stuff. And that just allows us to stay sharp. It keeps bouncing our legs and it keeps us with low volume, high intensity work and just keeping up that ability. Um, now, that varies on the race distance. Obviously, if you were going for some sort of 10K series, then that would be much more as far as intensity and speed. But if you're looking for duplicating marathons, um, it would be tailored slightly for that. The 
caution you have to have with that approach is that it is hard and it's fatiguing. So if you try to put, if you try to go more than about eight weeks on a strategy of that, you're going to bring in a lot of fatigue and potentially of issues. So so that has to be really outlined with the program there. Then I just switch the other one that if we're talking more of a, a sort of an eight to twelve week period until the next one or longer, and you see that sometimes I see guys looking to do maybe London, and then they're looking to rebuild again for something in September October later on in the season. That's a very straightforward one for me. We'll we'll take you through your 16 to 20 week program. Everything will be traditional as it was for the first strategy. Then you'll have a recovery week after your race. And then all we tend to do is we go back to about halfway through the program and we just repeat. We just rebuild back up from that one. It factors in recovery. It factors in sort of downtime and it just builds you builds you back up. What it gives us the ability to do as well, when we've got that much time to play with, is we can look at things like the terrain of the second or third race. Is it different to the first one? Is the climate factors different? Are there travel factors we need to consider? Did we do things wrong in the first one? Sometimes you might have just missed the mark a little bit and we need to tweak things. Have we picked up any niggles or injuries that we now need to, to factor in? And we'll make slight adjustments, but effectively try to repeat the second plan. And for most of us runners, most of us uh, regular guys and girls out there, those two strategies, whether it's maintaining a high level for a shorter period of time or to rebuild back up over a longer period of time, that's that's all I ever use. That seems to work. Uh, there's there's other stuff out there, but it's too fancy, too complicated. None of us, you know, if, if we lived in different areas where we have we were professional or there was financial gain for our running performances, then maybe different things work. But I think for most of us, that's the Joe and Jane averages. Those two work more than more than well. Okay, yeah, that's all great, great advice. And how about because, like, sometimes um, we know that, for example, strength changes are going to take maybe at least four weeks to set in. We know that if gait retraining as well, changing habits, for example, if you're going to have to change your gait because of a different terrain, like you said. We were talking to, when we were talking to Elizabeth Barnes, it was interesting how she noted the difference between running in sand compared to running on hard yeah. ground. You're using much more hip flexion, you're lifting the legs up, you're not getting the recall or the elastic exchange. So let's imagine if someone's making that slight change to their to their gait, and that's going to take, you've got to easily give four or five weeks for habits to change. So these sort of things are very much going to dictate when you can realistically run in your next A race, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Or whether it's yeah. going to be an A race. Yeah, absolutely. People don't seem to take this into consideration, um, as well as if you're coming back from a slight injury. You know, as soon as you've got any injury from a race, you're going to have to sometimes change your plans. Like you say, they've got to be written in pencil. You might not be able to. That might not be your A race anymore, depending on your last race. No, no. Um, um, they, you know, the the so many people sometimes they get so race one may not go as well as planned. And then they just lose the control to their programs. And when you're asking them to do those things, those factors to change, they'll just start squeezing on miles behind your back. They just start squeezing on speed behind your back and, and just, you know, deviating slightly. So um, mm -hmm. hopefully, I think I think you tend to get – I've been quite lucky. The um, I tend to get people coming to me rather than me looking for people to work with. And I – profit a lot of the time because perhaps they've made mistakes with others in the past so i do get people who come to me generally that are ready to listen 
Mm. So I, I'm not. I I know where that puts me on the spectrum. It doesn't get me carried away that there's anything special about what I do. Um, I think I I use my mistakes a lot of the time. I often tell my stories and anecdotes of when I've got it wrong, which has been plenty of times. Mm. Even in races that have been a success for me personally, there's plenty of things I know I did wrong or would change next time. Um, and and I think it's it's key to to say that to those people. Um, but there's there's the beauty of this, you know. We're not, we're not brain surgeons. We're not rocket scientists. We have a margin for error. We have a fudge factor that we can dip into and use liberally to to make these adjustments. So um, so yeah, it, it, it's there are, those factors are things that you need to push. But I find the worst thing you can do is just drop these things on people. Drop them suddenly on stuff. You know, if I'm starting pre-season let's call it doing some strength training with these guys these conditioning guys then it's outlined after we know the plan for the season where we might make changes and why we might make changes so so they may be if they're doing like a maintenance strength regime just once a week while we're building up for race here the first race here then as part of that session maybe i'll drop in some movement prep for things that might be coming up in the next strength phase but it's all explained and we'll look this might seem a bit silly now, but we are going to be changing the terrain and those terrains are going to put demands on other muscles. And this is why we're going to try and change it up for that. And most of the time then, they'll do, even if it's an exercise they hate, they'll sort of go, OK, I see that. Uh, you know, I quite enjoyed that other one. I want to still do that. But at least I get I get the rationale yeah. behind how we're trying to do stuff. Everything yeah. is about educating people on stuff. So if they're working with you from the beginning of the year or you've worked them long enough for them to actually trust you and kind of go with what you say that's great but how do you like you said um particularly in ultra running like you said it's kind of like <coughs> there's obviously the physical preparation as well but it's that whole 90 percent mental and the other 10 percent is in your brain kind of thing but that also means that you're going to be dealing with people who it's the psychology you're going to have to play around with rather than their physical prowess a lot of the time so you imagine you get somebody who's recently come to you. Okay, so they don't know you that well. Uh, maybe they've come from other people. They've had a race which kind of went okay, but they've they've got the symptoms, which um, let's imagine some knee pain or something. And you kind of know inside, okay, you've done your assessment and you're thinking, right, well, I need to kind of tweak this person's um, expectations. But of course, psychologically, they feel great. They're still thinking, wow, I felt great in that race and, and I'm ready for the next one. How, what, is there any kind of like, words of advice you'd give to other therapists who need to explain to that person that even though psychologically they feel fantastic and ready to take on the next goal it might be better for them to readjust and kind of change it how would you get through to that athlete yeah it's, it's, tough. it's tough and you have to you have to gauge the athlete in front of you and and a lot of the time <coughs> the nature of the beast of an ultra runner hmm is it's their sheer ignorance and um, dismissal of sort of normal advice is what gets them to be the ultra runner that they are. So it's a real, it's a real tough one. Generally, what I find works the best is certainly if it's someone that I've only just started working with is to reinforce the positives that the only way they're going to achieve these goals is to maybe try and do some of these things we're, we're chatting about. Um, mm. I think, um, Letting some you, you work out pretty quickly what what the psyche of someone is in front of you and what sort of personality type they are, and I think 
adjusting my approach to them rather than trying to get them to sip into my my approach is probably the best way. I bite my tongue lots of times for a couple of weeks before I think the opportunity might arise when there are pause there to, to, to broach some subjects. Um, and sometimes, and, and uh, you know, sometimes you've got to let someone maybe make a mistake in front of you. You know, they've got a bit of a niggle and they've got something coming up and it's probably not the most important. And you know that it's nothing serious. And if they just annoy it a little bit, they might give them a bit of a reality check. Mm. And sometimes I'm like, OK, cool. You know, I know you're safe. I know nothing bad's going to happen. I know mm. we're not going to jeopardise our plans for the season, but you need to learn the hard way sometimes. And then you can, of course, you can say, "I told you so." Yeah, they come in with it. Yeah, of course yeah. you can. Yeah, you sit there, you stroke your beard, <laughs> look, 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 down your nose, look down your nose at them. And, yeah, uh, yeah. But it's funny, and I, I really mean this. The last six years of being a dad and negotiating with two boys. They've mm. made me so much better as a clinician of dealing with people. They've, you know, to, to sometimes put the things you want to say to the back of your mind and approach different people different ways. Um, it, it really teaches you to, okay, let's let's think ahead. Let's plan what I'm going to say. Let's think of the conversations. When I may well have been guilty 10 years ago of walking in and saying, this is this is what I need you to do. This is my approach. Mm. If you know, you've come to me, if you're not going to listen to what I'm going to do, then go find someone else. And not that I ever had those conversations with anyone, but I felt like having those conversations a few times. Yeah. It's but a very you... interesting point. Yeah. yeah. Because we, I mean, you've, I mean, one of the things I think that you have got going for you and it's not, it doesn't always happen is you've got a great history and experience as an athlete with some great results and you achieve some amazing things. Um, but that alone doesn't mean that necessarily you can teach or coach or educate. Nope. You know, and I think too often in this society, um, particularly with runners, they'll go to the person who's achieved the best, who's the best runner in the club, um, and and they'll use them for advice. Um, and that person might have all the experience in the world, but if they can't convey it to the runner in front of them, if they can't educate in the right way, like you said, compared to being up a child, really, to being able to just then that they haven't got the complete package and then you might have somebody who's a great coach and a great they've got all that empathy and those skills and communication skills especially in the world of ultra running if they haven't got that experience of having actually fought a few battles made a few mistakes won a few trophies then again the runner is less likely to be convinced all the skills they might have in the world so someone in your position who's got the best of both no, I think that's a very strong, very powerful. Yeah, it, it helps. It helps. Um, I, I know when I've got a little clinic at home and if athletes come in to chat to me, you know, you can have, not not that I do, but you can have all the certificates in the world on the wall to show what qualifications you got. And then they look at a medal or they look at something else and they'll just, oh, you've done that. And that, that gets exactly. them every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time. yeah, yeah. And, and yet, and the irony these days, you can jump on eBay and buy most medals if you really wanted to just exactly. play that game. So, um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but I think I tell you the other strategy I use sometimes, and, and I I don't keep it a secret. Telling a little white lie sometimes works well. Making up a fictitious patient that's done something or hasn't done something in the past, which may just be you know, well, I worked with this guy once, and he, and he had this problem that you've got, and you know, he was doing this as well, and and it ended up costing him his race. We we had to make a complete different. All oh, right, okay, that, that person may have never existed, but it's just okay. We've we've got a bit of buy-in now, when we can 
And I normally tell them some point after they finish their race. Yeah, I was completely <clears> all that. But um, but yeah, I think um, uh, exploiting is a, is a bit of a, a hard word, but, yeah. um, but but exploiting them in a positive way for them to achieve their aims mm. and trying to just I think it's pointing them in a, in a direction and supporting them through rather than trying to be too rigid with them is, is, is the best approach. These guys, these guys and girls, especially the ultra runners, they're going to do it regardless of if you're supporting them or not. Mm. So sometimes is what's the path of less evil that I can help navigate them down? What are the little strategies that I can do with these guys to try and just get them to the start line? Um, and, and get them to the start line with as few niggles and as recovered and as ready to go as as possible. Um, they do they do tend to have a attitude and personality that they're only really happy when they've got a couple of niggles. Some of them, you know, mm-hmm. unless something's in it doesn't. I'm not training hard enough. I've not done enough. I've not run far enough. So there's that to deal with sometimes. But actually, that can be the little break that you use as well sometimes on them to say, "Okay, we'll manage you through with this." And and but I think I think the the key thing I always say, and if there's therapists watching it, is there's too many guys out there who will be negative to athletes to say, "No, you know, no, you can't make that race. You, you're not going to do this." It's all about just saying to them, "Okay, yeah, we can get you there. We may need to reset our goals or our aims, or we may need to do A, B, or C to get you there." But we can get you there. And and maybe afterwards, it's a case of, for now, we're patching you up, getting you to the start line. And afterwards, there's some fundamental things we need to change about the way you're doing things to make improvements and to, to fix things, for, for want of a better word. But they just need, they, they want someone to support them. They don't want someone to restrict them or stop them or, or be the anchor that is, is the limiting factor in their progress. And, and when, you've got, when you've got a population in front of you like that, that's, that's all you can do with them. That's all you can do with yeah. them is just support them. Interesting. Something I'd like to ask you as well, because I struggle with it sometimes myself, is obviously, again, when we're dealing with somebody who's going to run 100 miles, for them, it's very easy to confuse pain with effort. And obviously, they're continuously battling with demons in their heads, telling them to stop. Um, there are some of them probably are hallucinating. Um, literally, the amount of runners I talk to who are doing some of the 100 milers and they imagine they've got Dracula's bats behind them or snakes all over the floor trying to slow them down. It's crazy stuff. It makes it difficult for them to tell the difference between when it's a pain in their body they need to worry, not worry about, but actually realise, right, something's not quite working here. I need to sort that out in my in between preparation or whether it's just, you know, fatigue or um, uh, mental kind of like negativity. When it comes to quantifying pain we've got the kind of one to ten kind of thing can you number it a lot of particularly extreme athletes that makes it very difficult to quantify one to ten pain because they're used to running in what they would regard as ten pain especially towards the end of the race so how do you help um, a runner maybe someone who's listening tell the difference between beating effort beating just negative thoughts and actually realizing that something's not quite right and you need to um do something different in preparation for your next race yeah, I, I think um, I think generally they know. I think a lot of these guys will will know. You know, there's there's a 
there's a culture shock when they first expose themselves to some of the stuff that just becomes a fatigue and a um, tiredness discomfort. And generally those things, if it, rather than quantifying by number, I tend to go more off like, does your is your whole body hurting? Is it your whole leg that's hurting you? Yes. I'm not too worried about that. That's That should be so. When you start zooming in, so the more they go from a big, wide, broad brush, this hurts, down to a more finger point, this hurts, is when I start, my index of suspicion starts to raise a little bit on, on things I'm worried about. Um, but most of mine comes from feedback from recovery. So, you know, let's not worry too much about how you felt doing it. Let's monitor this recovery now afterwards. Monitor your subjective feelings of fatigue and pain. Some of them, depending on the athlete, like to do things like heart rate variability and heart rate monitoring and their sleep patterns and things like that. Um, if I, I don't push it on people, but if they're down with it and they're happy to do it, then cool. Uh, but generally, you know, if 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 you recover appropriately for what you've done. So if you've gone out this weekend and you've run two runs of total more than 30 miles, and you're stiff and sore for three or four days, but then by Thursday you're okay. That's appropriate to me. That, that's fine. If you have done 15 miles and you can't move for three days, then no, we've got we've got something going on. We need we need to worry a bit more about. Um, I think I think it's easier to avoid some of that fatigue pain, which which basically then makes it easier to identify when something's wrong. Some of that is just much cleverer strategies with their training. Um, uh, they they all just think it's about doing big miles, and, and I you know they're they're running a hundred miler and they're planning a big run that's in excess of forty miles. Mm-hmm. I, I just like guys, that's just crazy. And, and you know, go go up, go out and do four ten mile runs over a thirty six hour period. You're still getting the mileage in. You're still fatiguing the system, but you're giving yourself the chance to recover, to rehydrate, to refuel, ready for the next one. Watch what happens on race day. You'll st- you'll still be okay. Um, and I remember uh, I've used some strategies. I did one for my last hundred miler where I ran. So I went out on a Saturday morning and I did. A, I ran for an hour and I stopped for an hour. As soon as that hour's recovery stopped, I ran for two hours. A two hours rest and three and three and I did a pyramid all the way up, which finished with a six hour run, six hour recover, and then I came back down. So over a course of about forty eight hours, I'd run for about. 24 to 30 hours i put about 75 miles into my legs but i was fresh as a daisy about two days later just because of the way i'd been in yeah now the bonus i think of that as well is the psychological component because when you've just done all of that runs and you've stopped and you to get back off the couch again to go back out again when it's dark or it's raining another set of clothes to go back out there's positives from the, the psych side of it as well. So, so it's it's being clever, and then being if you can be clever, so that the fatigue pain is maybe it's not reduced, it's not minimised, but it's more acceptable. Identifying pain, pain becomes a lot easier, mm. and when the more they do, the more feedback, inherent feedback they get about fatigue pain. Um, obviously, the big big buzz phrase is always being uncomfortable, uh, being comfortable at being uncomfortable. And you can train that. You can train someone to be comfortable at being uncomfortable. You can expose them to being uncomfortable, and but knowing it's a safe environment. So, for example, if I did um, I did a, a 
last season I did a four ten mile runs over uh, twenty four hours with with one of my athletes. But I was with him. I was with him, and I was out with him when he was training, and I was with him for the times he was recovering. So he knew that he was being monitored. He knew there was the safety blanket that if I thought at any point we need to change what we're doing, we'd we'd have changed it. If I thought there was an injury or a pain, we'd have changed it. But suddenly, that the next time he did that session, he didn't need me on his shoulder. He was like, okay, I know it's going to hurt this much. I know these things are going to hurt. I know this aches and pains are going to come, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. And and I think those those are the clever ways to try and try and manage that. But um, but I, I I'm not a big fan anymore of sending people out for big, huge, long runs because the knock on effect, the subsequent training effect over the next seven to fourteen days is just so negative that the the accumulated miles just just doesn't seem worth it. And all you're doing is is fatiguing the system and and asking it to start picking up some aches and pains. That's brilliant. Okay, so yeah, so some well, you you mentioned so many great pieces of advice there. So um, so yeah, different, differentiating between um a localized pain and overall body pain. If the whole body is aching, then it's unlikely you've injured every single muscle and bone in your body. But if it's zoning in on one particular kind of thing, then then that could potentially be something you need to address more. Um, yeah, big thing about the long runs. A lot of athletes don't realise um that you don't have to. Um, stick one huge long run in for your training you can split it up like you did I think that's going to become a popular workout run for an hour off for an hour run for two hours off for two hours Um, write it in a postcard for your experiences practicing with that one Um, and then also yeah just um, yeah whether your recovery um, is what you'd expect from what you've just done that's a really really um, really valuable piece one as well Um, I was going to say when you were mentioning that um, Oh, I had a great question lined up, but now I've just forgotten it. Um, no, it's gone. Anyway, um, yeah, walking, hiking, that was it. Um, I think some people, like Elizabeth, again, was talking about it, the value, especially if you're going for terrain and, and kind of like hills and stuff, the value of actually going out for hiking mm-hmm. and for ultra runners. Is that something for personal experience yep. you benefited yep. from? And you yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> walking with weight on your back and walking for distances is such a big part of the military um and now being back in in the south wales area with with all the mountains and far, and stuff we've got tons of it is picked up and yeah wh- why wouldn't you why wouldn't you yeah, yeah, yeah. um go out and even if you just you can explicitly go out for a long hike or you could walk run you know mm-hmm. just, just turn it into that uh, ultimately it's Force and stress and miles through the joints and the body and muscles is 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 a number. It's just a, it's a statistic at the end of the day. How we accumulate those, you know, um, obviously if you are trying to run a marathon at a certain time and a certain speed, like some of our talented athletes do, then fine, you need to be working your, your physiological system within certain parameters to achieve those those goals. But very few people, once you step up to long, long stuff, worry about that stuff. It is, it is here's the start, there's the finish, I need to get to the end. Um, and even in something like like a 100 miler, most people are trying to get under 20 hours. But to get under 20 hours isn't a ridiculous physiological feat. You're still only talking 10 minute mile in ish to get around. It's a case of just keep going. So if, if I, encourage someone to add some miles on and again it might be someone who's had a 
they've done a lot. They were planning two runs over the weekend, but they're a little bit fatigued from the first run, more fatigued than we were planning on them being. Well, let's send you out for a four-hour, five-hour walk maybe the next day. It's still, mm. your, your cardio system is still working, your yeah, muscular yeah. system is still working, uh, and you're getting recovery working at the same time. So, yeah, mm-hmm. and if, if any of the long runs involve trails, then it's a safe way as well to start accumulating, um, customising the body to that, that terrain. And um, I'm conscious of time now, but one thing I want you, I'd like to hear from you is you've given some great advice and where, I mean, we know the research kind of shows that most injury and or pain is due to inappropriate loading, like you've mentioned, inappropriate training habits. So a lot of the ways we can help athletes is by looking, as you've said, on at their training habits and tweaking them and changing them. That's going to cover kind of 80 percent in theory of of issues there's obviously that other 20 percent which um i find a lot of runners spend too much time in and they neglect the 80 percent of training habits but what in your experience are some of the areas that runners spend too much time worrying about or trying to do with their spare time thinking it's going to give them a better performance or less susceptibility to injury um what are some things which runners shouldn't be spending so much time on maybe because they've read information you know for for regular viewers this is not going to be a surprise to anyone stretching you know i i i have it's there's very few things that i'm a fascist on but i'm a fascist on stretching um the 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 peddling of it is is just unbelievable now as i say on on a lot of the the courses i teach and on, on other things i've chatted on I don't have an issue with stretching if you're doing everything else first. If you're doing all the right stuff first and you think stretching is going to go and help you, particularly obviously static stretching, which I'm about, then fine, go and do it. But they are passionately ingrained normally into I must stretch. And and actually, you know, sometimes it's easier than others, but to, to push the message of those tight muscles aren't really tight. They're just fatigued. And a couple of times you can just show some simple ways of, of muscle length testing to, to reinforce that to them. But the stretching one is a big one because we are all limited for time. And if you're telling me you haven't got time to do the more important stuff, like the strength work, then let's let's use the time you have got much better. Um, again, the second one is another one that shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. It's footwear. I'm not, you know, there's there's enough people been on chatting all the great advice about the types of footwear and what we should do in. But for you, for the guys out there looking at doing it, just buy a few pairs of shoes, middle priced, middle range, all different types, and just wear different ones every time you go out. And don't sweat. Will this shoe make me better? Will this shoe make me better? No, it's not. It's not going to make a difference. Go out and do the right things, the big things first. Um, they're probably the big two. Uh, probably the big two. And then the third one sometimes from there's been a shift. I've seen a sea change almost in people who had no care or concern regarding nutrition to a ridiculous over concern. They micromanage everything that goes in their mouths and everything that goes in their bodies. And as long as you're eating regular meals and you're eating healthy and you're drinking fluids and, and recovering, you'll be fine. You know, I'm, they're, they're, they're weighing out the foods that they're eating and they're, they're calorie counting and they're falling for all these gimmicks and all these products that are out there. Guys, you know, when I, when I was training for long stuff, just lock the fridge because when I'm getting in, whatever's in front of me is getting eaten. My body, is good. My body, I trust enough to tell me what it needs to recover. 
um, I shared on, on the Facebook page the other day, I shared um, a little slide which has been around a while now about the study that showed the absorption rates of normally consumed drinks and how milk was always quite good for, for absorbing uh, into the system. And you ask people who've known me since the 90s, when I came home from a long run, rain or shine, the first thing I would do is go to the fridge, grab milk and just neck, neck a load of milk. Um, I don't know. It was never a conscious decision. It's just my body telling me I fancy some milk. Sometimes I'll come back for long, long, uh, long runs and my body wants a real full fat Coke. And it's just wanting me to start just giving some 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 things to it there. So so just just don't sweat the food stuff. Just eat well, eat regularly. Make sure you're eating enough. Um, I've never seen an ultra runner put weight on it in a training program. So um, those would be my big three: the food, the the shoes, and the stretches. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I think you make a great point. I mean, I'm, I'm still trying to find a guest. I'm conscious. I love hearing you saying that stuff because obviously it's my confirmation bias and that. But I'm conscious. I don't want to just have guests who I know are going to kind of. I like <laughs> things which I'm not a fan of or I can discuss. But I've I've yet to find a guest who I could have on who could talk to me about the benefits of devoting so much time to stretching. I don't mean to come across as a fascist with stretching, but it's like you say, if you're doing everything else, it's the whole pyramid analogy. If you're looking at your training. OK, and you're not overtraining and overloading. If you're looking at your strength abilities, are your tissues strong enough to handle the load you're expecting them to to undergo? Um, if you're looking at these, if you're looking at maybe your running form, OK, or are you running in a certain way which is unnecessarily putting too much stress, for example, on the calves and that? If that's covered, then fantastic. Then you can look at well, obviously, nutrition is going to be quite high up there as well. Um, but definitely things like the footwear, things like weighing out the food, things like um, stretching, mobility and stuff. It's that's fine. You can do it. But I think gents like us will step in if we see that you're spending too much time on this and you're neglecting the evidence based stuff, which we know from research is probably the reason why you are fatiguing or getting injured or suffering. And but I've still yeah. got to find someone online who, who Greg Lehman once tried to explain to me. But it was in a pub and it involved pens and napkins about how stretching does in some way help with the elastic return from that. But it was like, oh, it was just, yeah. well, first it was Greg. Well, well, one, one strategy that works well with um, ultra runners when it comes to the stretching debate is the moderate range of movement that these guys are going through when they're shuffling along. You're shuffling along for 100 miles. You're, you're not going anywhere near even cl or close to end range. And they're like, guys, look, look, why do you think that's a limiting factor? Um, so, so it's quite easy sometimes to break these down. But what the problem is, we're fighting this tide of major sports manufacturers and retailers that are spent, you know, you, I and others jump on, on something like this and spread our message across. But these guys are plowing billions of dollars into pushing a different message out. And they've been doing it for a long time. And, so... Um, so how often are you doing in the, in the swan pose then? Is it something you do regularly in the mornings or? Only Saturday mornings for an hour. <laughs> Every Saturday morning. I'm doing a swan pose. Well, yeah. well, I'm letting the beer die dry. <laughs> it's an interesting one because, uh, I mean, I do, for example, I'm for people who think I'm totally against stretching, I send a lot of people, especially guys, to yoga. Yep. But it's not so they can reach 
a huge range of motion it's it's so they can learn how to move from one position to the other and the yoga teachers who i kind of recommend are, are, are teachers and instructors who are not teaching you that the end goal is not to get into as far range as possible it's being able to smoothly move from one position to another to have control to own that movement and um, to be able to breathe yeah. to relax to have conscious of your body so a lot it's not chucking stretching out completely it's just looking at why you're stretching what you're trying to achieve through it yeah. and I, personally i'd get rid of the word stretching i don't like it <laughs> you know the whole like stretching and then people talk about dynamic stretching for me that's not stretching no. you're just moving you know yeah. you're swinging a leg you're not stretching anything per se so mm -hmm. oh mate look it's oh, i'm gonna have to make a two-hour episode i think in the future we could talk forever but it's 10 35 and i've got clients in today believe it or not um but okay so thank you so much for that i want to anything coming up what have you got coming up physically first of all have you got i believe you've got so, some of the challenges you're lining up yeah so so 2019 first year ever i'm taking a year off um i'm try. i've been trying for the last few years to squeeze things in in and around two jobs families and it's just not working so so i'm going to take the pressure off i might do a couple of half marathons but you know i'm probably not even going to really train for them but the big one we you know my wife and i were both military we spent the best part of 20 years living away and we were glad last year we were lucky enough to move back to wales so one thing that i'm quite keen to do is celebrate being back in wales and since i left we've built a coastal path that goes right round the perimeter of Wales and joins on to the Offers Dyke Trail coming down. And the whole uh, the whole course right round is 1,027 miles. Um, I, I've 2020, it's penciled in, it may be 2021 perhaps, but um, I've entitled it the Dragon Run. And I'm going to try and bash that out solo. It'll be 38 marathons in 38 days or less. Um, that's, that's the big one. There's a, when we're talking about contingency plans there's there's options so let's say that doesn't look like it's going to happen then um you could run point to point north to south you know the two furthest points away um but that's the big one that's the plan there this is something this is a route that you've devised uh well it's so it's it's the combination of two routes it's been done oh, okay. by, it's been done by a couple of people a handful of people have probably done it in, in the okay, last but it's not an official years. event yet no 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 it's just going to be me so that's, that's your name on the screen so yeah you yeah, that'll be me. So that could be appearing, maybe as a regular event if it goes well. Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe, yeah. Um, and then to be honest, what I what I've not done for a uh, six seven years now is any triathlon stuff. Um, I think after that, it's probably time to dust the bike off and got a few unfinished business there. I do fancy a triple Ironman. Um, there's there's the the fabled Decker Ironman out in Mexico, which which is another one that I fancy. Um, it might be that I'm onto wife number three if I enter that one, but um, but we'll see, <laughs> we'll see. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's the main plans. But the, other than that, right now it's just about work. Endurance physio for the last twelve months has, has exploded. It's grown way beyond any. I didn't have an expectation, but it's gone so much bigger than than I hoped it had. It's managed to grow the teaching side of it, which is my passion. I love standing in front of people, whether they're therapists or athletes, and helping them with the knowledge that I know. I like to try and blend the practical experience of what I've been through with the evidence base of, look, this is the honest advice of where we're at right now and, and an honest take on it all. Um, so, so I'm trying to push that, get some more teaching there. And now the day job has been handed in and sports injury fix, which I'm a director of, will be for a full-time role. 
That'll be the nine to five role now, trying to grow our website. We're going to be launching an online booking and note, electronic note system in the, in the next couple of months. So, um, so all things exciting moving forward. And in the back of all of that, at all the time, there'll be a small little client base that I'm treating and training and working with. Um, I've been able to take that where I can give them an hour or so of my time every time. I'm not in that sausage factory, one in, one out sort of lifestyle anymore. So, um, so much more quality yeah. and quantity. I think that's becoming quite a common route now for people who have realised that much of treatment or therapy, whatever word you want to use, is about education. Because, yeah, we do that in clinic, but to really reach the masses like you're doing, teaching, um, putting information out of line. So I'm the same. I've, I went down about, I can't remember how long ago now, just to two days in clinic. And like you said, really, it's a case of people finding me now. And it is going to be people who have seen other people maybe not getting the results. And then hopefully they come to me and I put an end to that kind of hot potato thing of them running around. And then, yeah, it gives us time to hopefully, yeah, change the world in another way. Um, yeah, yeah. That's what we're trying to do. Listen, Mike. Um, yeah, well, thank you so much for coming yeah, on. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolute pleasure. Uh, that's great. The, the reputation you're building is worth, um, yeah, every every single penny. Um, both with the endurance physio, with sports injury fix, your involvement with the running show. Um, so it's all it's all good stuff. I'm hoping this podcast um, gets shared uh, and put out to people so they hear what you're saying and they can get in contact with you. Uh, we'll put some links in the comment section to the various websites and things you've mentioned. Um, so, yeah, so you're back to the running show now, are you? Yep, we'll go and see what's going on there for the rest of the day. We're late at five o'clock. Yeah, the yeah. Sun, Sunday generally tends to be a little bit quieter and less crazy than the Saturday. But mm. uh, still thousands and thousands of people crossing through our stand. So, yeah. And it's the two days, is it? It's the weekend event. Yeah, it's a Saturday and Sunday. Third weekend and if people want to pop along, if people are listening from near Birmingham or they fancy coming in, is there still, can they still get into um, I'm not sure. Most of it was tickets. I'm not sure. I think, right. you, can buy, I think you can buy tickets here. Okay, um, it's worth I'll, checking I'll, out. Yeah, I'll, I'll check and I'll, I'll stick it on my Facebook page if people can. But yeah, it's definitely worth If you're, you know, most of these shows people assume are about buying products, buying stuff. But actually, mm. there's, there's a two day speaker program from Paula Radcliffe, Joe Perry's here, um, Nell McAndrew, Roger Black, right down to then a lot of sort of perhaps less celebrity but um, well known um, endurance runners. You know, Susie mm. Chan. Oh, Susie, yeah, yeah. Uh, Susie oh, I want to get Susie on this, actually. She's another yeah, character. Yeah, yeah I just want to get in the whole show. Okay, uh, tell yeah. Susie if you see her that she needs to, uh, oh, I'll contact her. That'd be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's yeah. got some good stories. Oh, hugely. Yeah. No, and she's got yeah. a fantastic following as well. So um, yeah. I just mentioned quickly Elizabeth Scott. Do you know Elizabeth Scott? No, I'm not sure I do. Uh, she put a comment here, but it's it's just huge. So I don't know what will happen if I kind of put it to see. It'll probably take up the whole screen. Um. Oh yeah, there you go. We can. Oh, this is why I didn't put it up, Elizabeth. Now we cannot see our beautiful beers. But yeah, there's a comment there from Elizabeth. She was just agreeing with you about um, taking her mileage down to smaller um, runs, and they're just having two A goals, and it really helps her avoid um, too much injury. It's been a um, yeah, total fantastic change to her injury history thanks to that. So Elizabeth, there you go. I did put it up. I was just worried about it blocking the whole of our beautiful faces. So. Thank you, Elizabeth, for writing that comment. Right, Mike, we need to go. Thanks, mate. Thank you so much. Um, uh, and we'll talk again soon. Okay, I'm going to let you go and say goodbye to my people. Thank you very um, much. Yeah, no problem at all. Cool. Right. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks, Mike. Cheers.
Okay, people, well, there we go. Slightly run over, 10.42. Um, but, yeah, Mike's great character. Um, check him out, the Endurance Physio. Um, he's got great website, loads of information there. Um, so, yes, for us, um, we'll be back. Um, I can never remember dates. I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old. I don't even know what's happening in the next 10 minutes. But I know we have got some fantastic uh, other speakers coming up, including... And we've got the director of um, Ultra Mirage, um, the race which Elizabeth Barnes won last year, 100K in Tunisia. Um, he'll be coming up, which I'm very much looking forward to because he is a total um, crazy endurance dude as well as um, being director of that race. We've got um, Tina Maria coming up, who is um, an elite uh, British athlete who's releasing a book soon regarding, like I said before, um, the all too common problems with female runners training too hard um interrupts menstrual cycle and then suffering maybe potential problems with fertility so she, i'm really looking forward to having her that's going to be at the later 1 30 p.m time because she's in america um, and seeing how that goes we may change it to 1 30 p.m we'll see um we've also got um who else is coming up we've got chris kitson fantastic um osteopath and strength and conditioning coach we're going to have Danielle Peters coming up, who is, as I say, a martial arts based, uh, um, but also very much involved in the running scene and a runner herself. Um, yeah, loads coming up. Um, so stay in touch, shed the word, spread the word. Um, go to iTunes if you can, put some reviews, put some stars. It just helps us raise the rankings. Let's look at the camera for this. Please leave us some reviews, leave us some stars, because um, it's the only way we reach more runners, which is all we want to do. Anyway, I'm in clinic now. So uh, without further ado, I'll say goodbye. Thank you very much for your continued support. We're going to have a dedicated web page coming out very soon. So watch our social media. We're kind of shifting over from Sport Injury Matt to uh, runchatlive.com which is taking up so much time, but that's going to be a new, fantastic, packed website for you to look out for. Um, so, yeah, we'll let you know. Thanks again for watching, or thanks again for listening, if this is the podcast you're listening to, and we'll see you again. My name is Matt Phillips, and you've been listening to Run Chat Live. You're listening to Run Chat Live podcast, putting the evidence back into running injury and performance.